This is Emma Farley for KGLP Gallup. I'm here with Kevin Smokler and Christopher Boone, directors of the 2020 documentary Vinyl Nation. The film is an official selection at the Dances in Film Festival in Los Angeles, which runs from August 26th through September 12th. Thank you two for joining me. Oh, thanks for having us, Emma. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you, Emma. Um, I know you guys probably have a lot of interviews lined up today, but for the next half hour, you'll be speaking to our audience here in Gallup, New Mexico. Oh, uh, fantastic. I should just jump in. This is this is Chris talking. I'm coming to you from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I'm really excited to, to have a, a New Mexico radio presence here. So thanks so much for reaching out from Gallup. Yes, I saw that in your bio. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit too, if you have any experience in how the New Mexico film industry is kind of blowing up um, right now. But we can we can talk about that a little bit sure. later. But first, a little bit of background. This documentary is about the resurgence in popularity of vinyl records in the U.S. over the past 15 years, starting somewhere around 2007. In the year 2007, there were about 1 million albums being sold every year in the U.S., and in 2019, there were almost 19 million sold. And so your documentary, Vinyl Nation, tries to explain that huge jump in cultural phenomenon. Kevin and Chris, tell me a little bit about how this film was born. What is it that pushed you to make this film in particular? Uh, this is Kevin. Vinyl Nation was actually born in the great state of New Mexico because uh, I was on book tour for a book I wrote in 2016 uh, about 80s teen movies. And Chris got in touch with me and said, why don't you come to Albuquerque and we'll do a screening at the Guild right there on Central Avenue of the Breakfast Club or Heather's or something like that. We'll chit chat afterwards and we'll sell some books. And we had such a great time. And I had known Chris as, as a veteran filmmaker. I'm a new filmmaker and Chris has made a feature in several shorts and stuff like that already. Um, and I really liked his movies and it was clear we worked well together. And so I had always wanted to make a documentary and had precisely one idea for a documentary. How do we explain the comeback of a medium that was essentially given up for dead a long time ago? Um, you could buy records for 50 cents to a dollar for for most of for most of our childhood, Chris and I are both a little bit too young to have been people who grew up only with records. We're kind of of the Sony Walkman CD generation, and so I had that question on my mind, and I said, "Chris, you're good at making movies, and we work well together, and I love documentaries, and I don't know if you have any interest in making a documentary, but maybe we can talk about this." And I have a name for it. I want to call it Vinyl Nation, and he said, "Well, that's great. That means we're going to have to." drive ourselves all hither and yon filming people talking about records. And I was like, maybe. And so we just started talking about it once a week because I live in California and he lives in New Mexico. Uh, and six months in, we decided it was really Chris who was like, if this is going to happen, we're going to have to make this real. Uh, and I said, okay, let's do it. And we got started in almost two years to the week um, later, we, um, we had a finished, a finished copy of Vinyl Nation. And what was the personal attraction for you? Have you always been a record collector? No, um, I I was a, I was a new record collector as an adult um, because I I was a little late to it the first time around. I think that Chris, I think that's kind of your story too. 
Yeah, yeah. I was just going to jump in um, and say, like, when Kevin brought the idea to me, I was interested in it because my wife and I had gotten a turntable around 2014, I think, um, and it started collecting records then. So right in the middle of this resurgence. Um, and then uh, I have a teenage daughter. And shortly after my wife and I got, I got a turntable, she got a turntable and started collecting records. And I thought it was fascinating that somebody her age who had only listened to music through digital platforms, primarily streaming and never owned music in, in a physical format, didn't even know really what a CD was was now buying records. And I was curious to dig deeper into that. Like, look at the younger generation that was now all of a sudden buying records and they have no memory. There is no nostalgia uh, for something that they've just never you know, experienced before. And they're just blown away when you drop a needle on a record and sound comes out, even if you haven't turned your speakers on. Like, whoa, like they don't, an iPhone isn't magic to them. That just should work, but a record is magic. So, like, okay, I want to, I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. And Kevin definitely had a head start on me. He he had actually started buying records, I do believe, right before the resurgence happened. So he actually was able to scoop up some cheap used records, and then the rest of us, you know, we had to come on along the way where everything started to get a little bit more expensive. Yeah. So it's my understanding that a lot of the film focuses on youth and how youth are becoming more interested in vinyl. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the people you spoke to in the film? Certainly. This is Kevin. Um, we uh, we knew, uh, based on not only Chris telling us stories of his daughter and her interest in records and and um, other people's kids and nieces and nephews and, 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 and young folks, college students and high school students we had talked to who were really interested in vinyl. And like Chris said, they had no nostalgia for it. They weren't around like the first time that records were big. Records were always were always uh, an old technology that had become new again for them. Um, so we knew we had to have some people in their teens and 20s in this movie. Um, Ellie Fessler, who was then a student, a sophomore, I think, at Pratt Institute in New York and is now uh, a working person in the construction industry. Um, we knew her because uh, because I, I'm I'm friends with her parents and uh, and we knew that she essentially lived in in, in a, a college student studio apartment and had a milk crate of 12 records underneath her bed and a little turntable on her nightstand next to her bed. Uh, and that was how you collected records if you were a 20-year-old college student and that was the amount of square footage you had. Um, we also... Uh, after our first week of filming in San Francisco, uh, because that's where I'm based, uh, we had received word that um, someone I knew had a an 11-year-old son who was very interested in records. Uh, and he would go to record swaps with his dad and they would go to uh, Amoeba Records, the big record store that's also in our movie, together. And so we managed to, at the end of one of our filming days, right when he was coming home from school, we managed to we managed to film him with his family's record player talking about uh, talking about the loving records as an eleven year old and knowing full well that records were a technology that predated him by by sixty to seventy years. Uh, yeah, we we knew when we made we made Vinyl Nation that there mathematically a comeback couldn't happen without a new generation being interested in records. And that was why the movie really emphasizes young people who like records too. And 2007 is the year that we start to see the jump, start to see the change. What was the catalyst of why that started to trend upwards around that year? 
Yeah. So a couple of things happen. Um, one of the things that we don't talk too much, we don't really talk too much about in our film is 2007 is the year the iPhone drops. And so now all of a sudden you don't need to carry an iPod and a phone. You just have one device. So it becomes really convenient to have your music with you all the time um, as the iPhone's popularity increases. Um, and then around like 2010, I think it is, Spotify shows up in, in the US. So now it's like really, really convenient to listen to what you think is every song ever created at your fingertips. It's not, but it just feels that way. Um, and, and as that's happening, I think people at the same time realize they are losing connection with the things that they love, especially music, when it's all become really easy and really convenient and all digitized. Um, and you think, oh, I don't need my CDs anymore. I just get rid of them. Like there's something going on there. Um, at the same time, record stores are notab notably are, are closing because people are not buying CDs anymore and they're not buying records anymore. And they're certainly not buying cassettes. Um, they're, they're just buying things digitally. And there are all these new stories that are essentially, oh, this record store is closing, that record store is closing. And very quickly they realize this is a terrible story. Like we've got to change the narrative. And so in our film, we, we talk with Brian Burkert, who's one of the co-owners of the Sound Garden in Baltimore, Maryland. And he organized a conference of a bunch of record store owners there at the Sound Garden. They called it Noise in the Basement. They said, listen, we've got to figure this out. Like we can't just have the news telling the story about how uncool we are and we're just closing all the time because we're never going to survive. And from that, they came up with the idea for Record Store Day, which was kind of borrowing the free comic book uh, day that comic book stores were doing. And they said, do you think we can do some like special releases and that would get people to come to record stores? And they're like, yeah, well, but what's going to make it special? Like what, why would people come out? And said, well, what if we turn up, what if we made records? Like what if we pressed vinyl and made it exclusive to record stores on that day only? That might be cool. And not surprisingly, bands like Metallica and the Rolling Stones like love records and they don't want to see them go away and they love record stores. So they get on board really early on. And that's the beginning of it. Um, that's, that's when you start to see the uptick and record store day starts to bring record stores back to life. Um, and then soon thereafter, you see turntables in Target and Urban Outfitters. And so young people are getting into it. And you see those turntables showing up in first Tumblr feeds when Tumblr was the thing and then Instagram feeds. And young, young people are saying, hey, I like these bedroom setups that have a turntable next to some succulents. Like I want a Crossley turntable and they start to buy those turntables. And once you have a turntable, you're going to start to buy records. So it all starts feeding on itself. And then white dudes like me of a certain age are like, hey, records look kind of cool again. <laughs> I think I really want to buy some records. And it just starts feeding on itself. And so they had always been around, but the, all of these things start to sort of come together in, in an interesting way. And now here we are in 2021. And as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, uh, records are now... Uh, selling, you said it was like 19 million copies. And in 2020, during the pandemic, for the first time since 1986, the physical number of records sold outsold the physical number of CDs sold. So um, records are definitely back. Wow. Yeah. And do you think they're here to stay? I think so. Kevin, what do you think? Certainly. Um, will they continue to grow at 10 to 15% every year as they have been for the last 15 years? Well, that's unlikely. But 
the idea that suddenly that, that that suddenly records are going to fall out of fashion and something else will come along to replace them again, that's probably not going to happen. Um, I think, although it's not in the movie, I think in the course of our interview, Billy Fields from Warner Music, who is in our movie, said um, in terms of physical format for music, we've kind of reached we've kind of reached the mountaintop at this point. The record, the record is the mountaintop. It was probably the mountaintop the first time around. And then we realized that, that it's also big and fragile and made of plastic and can be easily scratched or broken or, or damaged by your cat jumping on top of it, which is also in our movie. Um, And, uh, and so it's small wonder all of these other formats came along. And, And of course, business was part of that too. If you could resell everybody their record collection over and over again, that's a really good business model. Um, I think though we have finally realized that maybe what we knew all along is that records are a really special way to experience music. Um, And oddly enough, a way that exists perfectly in tandem with streaming too. Um, We like to say like streaming is like the card catalog in the library. Streaming tells you what you are interested in. And then the record is the book that you go find somewhere in the library. And and now we need to explain to listeners what a card catalog is. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's better than the drug dealer analogy we usually (laughs) use. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, that's really interesting what, Chris, you said about the iPhone coming in the same year on 2007. And there's been a lot of arguments that technology brings us apart, makes us lonelier and less social. And I think there's kind of a social and communal aspect to records. I know back in the 60s and 70s, people tried to make it into an event. You'd all sit down and put a record on. Did you find that in the film that it made people more social? Yeah, for sure. Um, Actually, when we gave our footage to our editors to take a look at um, Jason Welling and David Fabello, like once they were going through all the raw footage, one of the first things they said was, you guys think you've made a documentary about the resurgence of vinyl records. We think you've made a story about human connection. Um, It's and you see it because a lot of the people in our film will come from all walks of life. They look totally different from one another. And yet they're telling the same stories as it relates to their experiences with records and their experiences with other people around records. Um, And I think that's what makes it so much fun. I mean, one of the things that's not in our film, a story I like to tell is when we are interviewing Roz Lee in Harlem, she put on a record as we were setting up and um, all of us kind of made our way over to the turntable to figure out what we were listening to because we didn't know it. And uh, it turned out to be BT Express's uh, album, Nonstop. Um, I didn't listen to much disco or funk when I was growing up. And so I, I had no idea what it was, but it was amazing. And we were all grooving to it. And I never would have discovered that had Roz not put it on her turntable. The very next day, we drove from New York City down to Baltimore, Maryland to interview Cap Peach at Hair's Breath Records and Fell's Point. And after Kevin was done the interview, he started flipping through the racks because she has some amazing used records there. And he pulls out not one, but two copies of BT Express's nonstop. And they were both in amazing condition. So he tells Kat the same story. And it's like, I got to buy one for me and one for Chris. And she says, you know what? They're a gift. You, you just have them. So uh, again, that's a record that's special to me in my collection that I never would have had. And it was because, you know, Roz put it on our turntable and the very next day, a record store happened to have a used copy of it. So um, yeah, I think there is a lot about human connection, especially if you're in 
a record store with other people and you're looking at what they're looking at, or you go to a record convention, like we show on the biggest one in the country, an awesome record convention, you see all these other people shopping for records. You're just kind of curious, like, what are they into? And, and, and you can ask questions and see what they're picking out. So I think that's what makes makes it a lot, a lot more special. I'm never looking over somebody's shoulder at what their Spotify playlist is. Yeah. I think it also just makes us slow down and live more mindfully because you have to get up from your chair and flip the record every 30 minutes or so. Absolutely. Very true. It's interesting that at the same time, records have increased in popularity. Minimalism has also become more popular amongst the same groups, which I think is kind of contrasts um, with records because, you know, you have to own a lot more stuff to play records. Did you find that um, struggle at all in the film? Absolutely. Like, like we have a whole section of the movie led off by our, our friend, Chris Livengood, who, who owns a, a, a stereo shop in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, um, and is basically the person in the movie who takes us through the, you know, why do some, why do some people think records sound better than digital, et cetera, et cetera. And the very first things he says is, yeah, records are a pain in the ass. Like, like records are big and bulky and they react badly to heat and cold. And you need a lot of room to store them and you need a lot of equipment to play them on. Um, and that those conditions are getting better um, record players are becoming smaller and more portable. There, there, there are affordable versions of them. There is a, unlike most other ways of listening to music, there is a very brisk trade in used records and used audio equipment. So you do not have to purchase something new for it to be good. Um, but it's hard to get around the, the, the stuffness of records, which I think is what you're talking about, Emma. And, um, and that records are stuff, um, and um, and I think which is why Chris and I kind of shy away from the 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 more is better cliche of records of old. You know, it, it, the image of the image of the record collector before before the comeback began. You know, in two thousand and seven, was similar to the image. It was basically the image of a hoarder. You know, it was it was someone who was socially awkward and. Um, and uh, and and probably badly bathed and um, and uh, and just liked stuff around. Uh, and we we totally get why it feels like there's never enough records to have, and that's because there's never enough music to enjoy. Like like the the, the world of music is endless. Um, but we would hesitate to say that um, that one should own every every one own should, should own a record copy of every, of every song that has ever interested you. Um, because we, none of us live in airplane hangers where, where, where we can put it all. Um, and, and the trend, like the, the, the sort of Marie Kondo and trend away from stuff is very real, you know, like, like um, uh, I, I try, like, you know, I try and, I try and keep uh my records uh, uh, consistent with the way my wife and I uh, like to live. I should say our records because they're both of our records, but like the records are not a mess to be made because that's the way we like to live. There's something we enjoy and therefore they need to be organized and clean in a way that we get the same kind of enjoyment we get out of living in our home. And can you tell me a little bit about um, distribution for the film where our listeners might be able to one day watch the film? 
Sure. Um, well, uh, I imagine most of your listeners are in Gallup, but if any of them happen to be listening and they're in Los Angeles this coming weekend, um, our film is playing at the Dances with Films Festival at the Historic Chinese Theater in Los Angeles uh, this Saturday, 5 p.m. So we're hoping people in that area will come out and check it out. However, if you are in Gallup and you cannot make it to Los Angeles <laughs> this weekend, um, we hope that we'll have it here sometime. Actually, we will be playing in uh, New Mexico, but it'll be virtually with the Albuquerque Film and Music Experience in September. So that's uh, an upcoming way that you're going to be able to check it out. And again, you can be in Gallup because it's going to be an online festival. And if you really just can't wait and you are somebody who's into records and you like collecting things, um, we did a very special limited edition release of our film on Blu-ray DVD in conjunction with Record Store Day this past summer. And we only did a thousand copies. We did it in 12 by 12 gate fold. So it looks like an album. It's got foil stamping. Each uh, copy is hand numbered. So every single one of them is unique. And there are still a few copies floating around out there. So if you want to head to our website at vinylnationfilm.com slash DVD, you can see a list of stores that you can still purchase a copy online here in New Mexico. You probably can't buy it online, but you might be able to reach out to Lost Padre Records in Santa Fe, New Mexico, because I know they had some copies for Record Store Day, and there might still be one floating around in the bins. So you might want to give them a holler. Um, yeah, those are probably the best ways you can check out our film in the near term. Cool. Well, before we head out, Chris, I'd like to talk to you just a little bit more about your New Mexico experience. Um, one thing I'm really interested in is how the film industry here in New Mexico is really blowing up. There's a new Netflix studio in Albuquerque and a lot of new productions all over the state. Um, did that play any role in the production of this film? Ironically, it didn't. And it's one of the things that pains me the most about this particular production is that we had to make decisions, hard decisions about where we were going to film and why. And we actually had a Google map that we put together in pre-production and we were dropping pins on the Google map um, to figure out where people were located. And we needed to cluster interviews together so that we could get enough people on film and yet still do it in a certain schedule and a certain budget that we had. Um, and yet we still wanted to go all over the, the country. I will say as much as I like uh, Charlie's 33s and CDs here in Albuquerque and Los Padre records um, in Santa Fe uh, um, and Heads Up in, in Taos, New Mexico. And I know there are other stores uh, around the state. Um, New Mexico hasn't really been a hotbed um, for, for record stores, um, and there weren't enough people here for us to interview to make it worth kind of our while to bring the whole production here in the town. That being said, when we were in Austin at the Austin Record Convention, um, we did interview Hadley Kenslow, who does make an appearance in our film. Um, he is the, the owner of Slow Low Records, and Slow Low Records um, does a, a record show here in Albuquerque and then travels around the country to record shows. Um, and Hadley's a fantastic guy. He's actually one of the first people from Albuquerque I ever met because many, many moons ago when I moved here, he actually was uh, the assistant to my real estate agent. <laughs> he is no longer. He looks much different now. Um, but Hadley's in our film. So that's our, our New Mexico connection. But I will say that uh, New Mexico is just an amazing place to make films. Um, I, I wouldn't have actually been able to make this movie had it not been for the filmmaking community in New Mexico, because it was my feature sense that I, that I made that I shot in 2014 that came out in 2015 and 2016 that Kevin ultimately watched and made him realize, whoa, Chris knows how to make movies. Um, and that 
was never going to be possible if I didn't live here in New Mexico. That was totally shot with New Mexico talent, New Mexico crew, everything done in New Mexico. Um, and, and it's just a really special place to be if you are a filmmaker. There's just so much support for, for filmmakers here. So I'm thrilled um, uh, that uh, we were able to make Vinyl Nation because of my previous project. Um, and I do look forward to future projects here in New Mexico because it is absolutely exploding. Like every day there are press releases coming out of yet another movie, another TV series being shot here. People sharing photos of the Stranger Things cast at Sawmill Market in Albuquerque this past weekend. And you know, it's, it's never ending. And so I'm just really grateful that the state has supported uh, filmmakers and that uh, filmmakers have always worked together collaboratively here in New Mexico. Yeah, I think right now is a great time for beginners uh, to get started in New Mexico, too, because, you know, if you try to get started as a production assistant or, you know, a camera operator in L.A., there's probably a million people in front of you, but you might uh, be a little closer to the top of the line in New Mexico. Yeah, they're always looking for people to work. You can contact production offices directly from those press releases. And there are great training programs here, too, if you want to do more of the trades. Like here in Albuquerque at, at CNM, the community college has a fantastic film technician training program. So, uh, you know, and don't wait for training. Just take out your iPhone and start shooting something as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kevin and Chris, directors of Vinyl Nation. Thanks for having us, Emma. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Emma.